Imagine with me, if you would, that there's a bank, a bank that credits your account each morning with $86,400. Every morning, boom, $86,400. And it carries over no balance from day to day. So every evening, the end of every day, whatever part of the balance you fail to use is zeroed out. It's gone. So, what would you do? I mean, for me, for me, I would withdraw, I would spend, I would invest every single penny. Right? I mean, that seems like the logical thing to do. Each of us has such a bank. We do. And the name of it is time. Every morning, you are credited with 86,400 seconds. Every day, beginning of every day, boom, 86,400 seconds credited to your account. And every night, whatever isn't used or invested to good purpose is gone is written off no balance is carried over to the next day each day a new account is open for you each night it wipes out whatever's left and if you fail to use it you lose it there's no going back there's no drawing against tomorrow you live on today's deposit and the clock keeps ticking so, make the most of the day. Spend it. Use it. Invest it wisely. I heard a story about a man who worked at a factory. And one of his main jobs at the factory was every day at 5 p.m., he blew the whistle. Just like on the Flintstones, remember? Beginning of the Flintstones, I'm dating myself. Some of you nod or something, you know what I'm talking about, okay? Every day, five o'clock, he blew the whistle to indicate that the day was over, the work day was over, and he walked to work each day, and as he did so, he walked past this jewelry store. And in the window of the jewelry store, there's this beautiful antique grandfather clock. So he would stop every day, he'd pull out his stopwatch, he'd look at the clock, he'd set the time on his, on his pocket watch. Well, one day, one morning, walking to work, comes past the jewelry store, and the store owner is outside. He's sweeping the sidewalk. And the factory worker stopped. He, he asked him, he says, Sir, how is it that your grandfather clock keeps such accurate time from day to day? And the jeweler replied, Oh, I said it every afternoon when the factory whistle blows. We live by the clock, right? Because time is so important to all of us. Benjamin Franklin said, Do not squander time, for it is the stuff life is made of. But what sort of a relationship do you have with time? Is it your friend? Or is it an enemy that you do battle with every day? 
A lot of people seem to always fight the clock, right? They stay up late. They get up early again the next morning. They rush frantically to work or to school or their errands or their activities. They multitask as they rush at the wheel. We all know that texting and driving and doing anything else with your cell phone is dangerous. But how about applying makeup or shaving? I've seen both. So what sort of a relationship do you have with time? It seems that if we're going to understand the importance of rest and what it means to build a healthy rhythm in our lives and understand what it means to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, like it says in the Ten Commandments, that we need to have a correct understanding of time and how to manage it well. In Psalm 90, verse 12, in the Old Testament of the Bible, it says this, Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, Psalm 90 is really quite unique out of all the Psalms. It's believed to be the oldest Psalm written by the oldest man in the Bible after the book of Genesis, Moses. You heard of Moses? Probably like one of the top five well-known figures in the Bible, famous for the Ten Commandments. And this is his psalm. Actually, it's a prayer. And I want to encourage you sometime, maybe this week sometime, pick up a Bible, turn to Psalm 90, and read the whole thing. It's not very long. And you might be surprised that you recognize some of it because it's oftentimes read at a funeral service. So at the climax of this psalm, Moses asks God for wisdom, but in order to gain wisdom, he prays that God would teach him to number his days correctly. Now Moses isn't asking God how many days he's going to live or on what day he will die. That's not the numbering that he's interested in. What he's praying about is time. He's saying, God, I want to be wise, not just smart not just puffed up with information. I want to take what I know. I want to make good choices. I want to have good judgment, have common sense, and allow it to affect how I think and how I act. And to do that, Moses knew that he needed to be able to see the world as God saw it. He needed the, the right perspective, a proper understanding of time and how to move through life wisely from one moment, from one second to the next. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, Jesus knew how to do this. In chapter 6 of the Gospel of Mark, it's one of the stories of Jesus' life, Mark wrote that Jesus was full of wisdom. Jesus knew how to number his days aright. He knew this prayer of Moses. As a teacher, as a rabbi, he had this all memorized. He knew how to live with wisdom, how to move from one of those 86,400 sec 86, seconds to the next. He actually had a perfect relationship with time. Now, this is what I've noticed. People who have this proper perspective of time are typically calm, 
unhurried people who live nearly every moment of every day fully, savoring the simple things, celebrating small discoveries, not afraid of life's inevitable surprises or reverses, able to adapt and to change. People like this are not driven. Wise people are not rigid. They actually manage time less and pay attention more. I get on these kicks every few years, and I think I need to have a new time management tool. And a few months back, actually the beginning of this year, I, I switched back to a paper planner, convinced this is it. This is the secret. This is going to change my life. I will finally be the master of my time. This is a struggle for me. And truthfully, I, I just can't seem to consistently get it. What I know is right. Time is not meant to be managed. So I've written this line, kind of ironic, I've written this line in my new planner. Manage time less, pay attention more. Again, consider Jesus. He lived with the clearest and the highest purpose possible. God's only son sent to earth to change history, to open the door into eternity for sinners. Now, I don't know what your plan is for your life, but it might not be that big. So Jesus, he had this big purpose. And yet, when you read through the stories of his life, you'll see him veer. You'll see him stray. He's interrupted with, with no apparent day-to-day -day plan except one. Get to Jerusalem and die. Otherwise, his days were a series of zigzags, detours, interruptions, delays, spur-of-the-moment decisions, leisurely meals with friends and with strangers, and unplanned rounds of storytelling. Sometimes Jesus was available. Sometimes he wasn't. It's kind of hard to know why. One minute he's not going to go to the temple, and then the next he is. One minute he refuses to help a wedding reception host solve his wine shortage problem, and then the next minute he's all over it. He's ready to drop everything and rush over to some complete stranger's house to heal his servant, but he waits four days while one of his best friends clings to life and then dies. He never did go visit his cousin John, who baptized him while John was on death row. And in the middle of a life-threatening storm, what does Jesus do? He falls asleep in the bottom of the boat while his friends are terrified, clinging to life. While the sick begged for his miraculous attention, he slips off into the hills alone. Although Jesus was doing the most important job in history, saving the world, and he knew he only had a few years to do it. He never hurried. He made time to consider the flowers of the field and the birds of the air. He took time to lay his hand 
on the little children and to bless them. But just think about how much more he could have done. It doesn't make sense sometimes, does it? So what are we missing? What determined Jesus' schedule? Well, here's what John wrote. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Sounds a little, uh, a little unstructured. Pretty flexible, doesn't it? Not knowing where you've been or where you're going. Floating around like the wind. I mean, how in the world do you know what you got to do? In the book of Acts, the story of how the church got started, here's how Peter described Jesus' life. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good. Could it be that simple? Going around doing good? Shouldn't he have had a more detailed action plan than that? A few more measurable objectives? One of my heroes, author and, and teacher Henry Nouwen, said this near the end of his life. My whole life I have been complaining that my work was constantly interrupted until I discovered the interruptions were my work. Jesus didn't seem to keep time. But he noticed people along the way. He managed time less. He paid attention more. He stopped to tell simple stories that made you think. He said, life doesn't consist of the abundance of your possessions. Instead, he said it was having ears to hear and eyes to see. It's about noticing about listening, about paying attention to what God is up to and then joining him there. Living wisely requires paying attention. And paying attention means that we make room for surprises. We become hospitable to interruption. God is in control of every second. And his purposes, his presence often come disguised as detours, messes, and defeats. Seriously, God often shows up in detours, messes, and defeats. For the past 15 years or so, I, I've helped facilitate the, the journey class at Orchard Hill. And for about 25 weeks, we think about who God is, who we are, and what God wants to do in and through us. We write and we share our stories and we pay careful attention to where God has shown up. And over the years, I've listened to a few hundred of these stories. I've had the privilege to listen to them. And you've listened to some during our Stories from the Seats series. And what I've noticed is that God often shows up in the most significant, powerful, and life-altering ways on our darkest days when we feel most vulnerable and broken. 
Is that true for you? Think about it. Of all the events and experiences that have shaped you most deeply and lastingly, how many did you see coming? How many did you engineer, manufacture, or chase down? How many were interruptions? I call these B-52 bomber moments. Something big drops into our lives suddenly. A a crisis, a death, a tragedy, a disappointment, a momentous event. Something big that we never saw coming and time stops. And everything changes forever. You know, the span between life as we intend it and life as we receive it, I mean, it's vast. And our true purpose, I believe, is worked out in this gap. Who and what we really are is discovered there, in the gap. But we'll miss it if we're not paying attention. Most of us live afraid of the idea that we're almost out of time. But let me tell you, you and I, as followers of Jesus, we are heirs of eternity. We're not short of days. We just need to learn to number them aright. So how do we do this? Well, I'm going to share one important thing that I've noticed, and then I'm going to give you two things to consider doing. Proverbs 11 says, The world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. So here's what I've noticed. Generous people have more time. I believe it. In some illogical, mysterious way, I believe a generous heart is also a heart that is seldom overwhelmed. Generous people pay attention to the world around them. The world can bring them both joy and sadness, but it just doesn't seem to overwhelm them. They know how to live well within this rhythm of of work and play and rest. Stinginess, on the other hand, is parasitic. It chews life out and it spits up the bones. It's stingy, selfish people are convinced that there's never enough. And because they believe this, they hoard and they keep and they waste and they lose. Generous people have more time. It's kind of crazy. But the people who believe time is precious and then willingly give it away, the people who treat time as a beautiful gift and not a possession, seem to have an abundance of time. And in contrast, the people who guard every minute, who resent every interruption, and ration every moment, they never have enough. They're always late, they're always behind, they're always scrambling, they're always driven. Now, there's a place for wise management of our days and weeks and years, but management can turn quickly into rigidity. We, we hold time so tight that we crush it like a, like a delicate flower closed in a fist. 
We thought we were protecting it, but instead, we destroyed it. Paul wrote, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. True generosity always moves in that sequence. First God, then us, then others. And it always starts with giving not something, but ourselves. Which leads to the two things that I want you to consider doing, a way of living that Jesus demonstrated to us. And the first one is to give yourself first to God. Everything. Your words, your thoughts, your actions, your feelings, your desires, your health, your sickness, your failings, your sins, all of who you are, and your time, too. Never turn time into a possession. Never be tempted into believing that you can manage or control time. Never turn your relationship with time into a battle that you're desperately trying to win. Never believe that you can hoard time or be stingy with your time or somehow do or be so much more than you already are if you just somehow had more time. Instead, trust God completely. And in doing so, you will learn to trust the gift of time that the good Father has given to you. You will learn to number your days aright. You will gain a heart of wisdom. You will learn to rest in the good plan that God has for you. For every one of those 86,400 seconds of every day, manage time less. Even the time you spend with God. Don't worry about whether you're reading the Bible correctly or saying your prayers the right way. Instead, pay attention more to what God is doing, what God is saying. Listen, look, pay attention to what God is up to around you. Proverbs 19 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. I believe as you trust and you find rest in God's plan, you will find yourself open to interruptions. You will find yourself alert and ready for divine appointments. You will be blown by the wind of the Spirit ambushed by the good work that God is doing in the world around you. And that leads to the second thing. Give yourself to others. And yeah, this is a hard thing. Spend time, even if it feels like you're squandering or wasting it, for the sake of purposes that are beyond your own, those purposes that are bigger than you, those purposes that belong to God, the true purposes that will prevail. For instance, that person that you think is such a pest, but who always wants to talk with you? Yep, that one. You're thinking about that person right now? That one? Why not listen? Why not give them not just your time, 
but yourself, your attention, your affection, the gift of your genuine interest. In God's economy, to redeem time, you're probably going to have to waste some of it. But I guarantee you, people are going to surprise you. In being generous with your time, you're going to learn something. You're going to hear something you've never heard before. You're going to see something new. Your world is going to grow bigger and bigger because you will begin to see the world as God created it. I've been to a lot of funerals lately. I think it's about 17 in the past year. And many of them have been celebrations of lives from people in our church family who have finished their life so well. Every one of them has challenged my view of life here and now. And I've noticed this common thread. At the end of our earthly lives, what's remembered and celebrated most often? Well, it's typically the things that have some eternal value. Things like choosing joy in the midst of dis disappointment or how well we've loved God or, or the people around us or, or being able to forgive and listen and be generous with our gifts, our abilities and our resources, being generous with our time. Those are the things that are often remembered and celebrated. We buried my wife's parents last fall and both were incredible examples of faithful living to the very end. Uh, Deb's mom was, was a generous woman who loved God and loved others so well. She, she wasted a lot of time. She gave so much of herself to God and to others. And because of that, she appeared at times not to care about what many other people would say were the important things. The house wasn't always picked up. The chores weren't always done. The schedule wasn't always kept. Supper wasn't always ready. She wasn't a slave to, to fashion or trends, and she didn't give a rip about trying to keep up with the neighbors. But she had time, so much time, to do what was important to her. She loved God, and she always took time to listen and to learn and she loved others, all kinds of people, young and old, rich and poor, and especially the people that needed to be loved. She had more than enough time for those things, and I think that is wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Learn how to live wisely. Don't try to be the master of time or even try to manage, manage it so carefully, but instead, practice giving it away. Manage time less, pay attention more. The time given to you is a gift from God. Live in it, rest in it, and look for God within it. And give it away to others. Be generous with your time. And God the good, generous giver of all good gifts 
will resupply you with another 86,400 seconds tomorrow. Let's pray. God, for all your good gifts, we give you thanks. And we also confess, God, that we overlook them, we miss them, and maybe we don't even believe they exist. And instead, we'll step in and we'll try to manage it and control it and create our own good gifts when the best is always right there in front of us. So God, may we be people who are wise. May we be people who are generous. May we be people who love you and love others and demonstrate it every day. God, thank you for the gift of this time that we have together. Amen.